0: everybody, welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Patty, we have got an action-packed episode for them today with the Payrock interview and everything going on. I think
1: it's got Uh, some really interesting stuff. Some really cool stuff. I mean, I think that it's an excellent example of how to build a powerhouse, isn't it?
0: It really is. You know, Payrock, uh, you know, if you're not paying attention, I mean, you go, I'm on LinkedIn. It seems like every other week I got another notification that they've acquired somebody or emergency. Somebody else. I know. Same thing here. Yeah. Yeah. And so building up very quickly and ramping up, I thought I think a lot of ISO execs want that path. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a lot of industry, you know, a lot of agents and ISOs want to understand more about that model. Um, And so that's a good interview. And then tell
1: us about the insider's report. Uh, I'm going to talk about EMV compliance for uh, automated fuel dispensers. Uh, The deadline for that's coming up in, and. uh, operators are woefully unprepared. I think there's some real opportunity there for agents and ISOs.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And then um, I go into uh, just some some tips, some questions I've had about selling on value for agents. And I talk about how you got to sell one thing at a time. And so it's tempting with selling on value to try to sell a bunch of things and, you know, you never get a yes. So I talk about kind of how to overcome that by really selling one thing at a time. So uh, we got a great episode. I'm ready, Patty. Are you ready? Let's go.
2: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey,
0: everybody. Today, I am here with the Payrock team, and I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, You know, it's no secret that Payrock has been making acquisitions. I just recently saw a new deal that you guys did. And so we wanted to get them on to talk about how they've been bringing the strengths of all these different organizations together in their attempt to make really a powerhouse for ISOs and agents. And so, um, Jim, let's, let's start with you, of course, the CEO at Payrock. Jim, tell us about Payrock. Tell us about your story a little bit. How did you get into this crazy industry and how did you end up with, with Payrock?
3: Yeah. Okay, great. And, and I'm going to try and keep this short and everybody knows I can't <laughs> say hello in 15 minutes, let alone tell our story. Right. Um, I've been in this industry since 1988, you guys. So I got in when I was like six years old <laughs> Um <laughs> No, I started this. I got in this crazy business um, supporting ISOs and agents in '88. I started to finance equipment leases mm-hmm. for organizations that were funding leases for ISOs and agents when the Verifone equipment was just going crazy, Jim, and in, in you know in the '80 late '80s, right? That's yeah. when the ISO and agent kind of came up and was birthed, and uh, actually before that, but. I was in the finance and leasing business, and I like this thing. So, and and um, from eighty eight to ninety three, I financed leases. But in ninety three, I said, you know, I kind of like this. I was the founder of Lease Finance Group, sure. Which from ninety three through two thousand and seven became the largest funding source for ISOs and agents for equipment leases. Mm-hmm. Um, I built that company from ninety three to ninety seven. We sold it to CIT. In '97, and that's when we really exploded. And what was cool about that was um, that is when we began. We partnered with Retrievo, what is now Evo Global Payment System. I mean, we were partnering with everybody, right. not only to fund leases but to fund rental contracts too. And right. that provided the you know you know the ammunition for funding and ISO and agent sales force. And I liked it so much and and the company exploded, it grew. CIT was very happy with the investment. And in 2000, my buddies, a client of mine and buddies over at Retriever, Payment Systems had the opportunity to buy the company from First National Bank of Omaha, which most people on this podcast that are listening might know that history if they're old enough. And that is when I left CIT and Lease Finance Group and became an investor in Retriever. I was on their board. I was independent. I, a couple years later, I started my own leasing company again. And everybody knows the Retriever story. It, it exploded in 2000 through 2004. Um, we recapitalized with GTCR in 2004. And um, that was really a nice transaction. That's when I became a senior officer a retriever payment systems, and joined that team as an employee and an investor. And we just, again, it exploded. We were all about our customer was the agent in ISO out there. Um, we also did a lot of bank deals. And um, in 2006, we joined, GTCR had us join with the group that had a shot at buying NPC from Bank of America. And I was on that executive team. We, we bought Bank of America in 2006. And that's when we went to about, we went from 100,000 merchants at that point to about 250,000 merchants. Wow. And we grew that thing um, just wildly. We were still partners with uh, First National Bank of Omaha. And, um, and, and everybody knows what happened in 2008. Um, the economic freeze that went on in the uh, Russian debt collapse and all that. So we decided, you know, at this point, we're a very large organization, doing very well, servicing ISOs and agents real well. And then we realized that we needed some more firepower. And in 2010, that's when what became Vantiv bought NPC and Retriever, and that became our ISO business. Myself and another gentleman by the name of Joe Natoli were asked to stay on to run the ISO business in 10 um, for NPC and Retriever for Vantiv. We nice. did that, and I had a really nice run from 2010 through late 2015 with Vantiv. I helped them go public. I ran their ISO business for them. I helped them pour the foundation for their payment facilitation business. Um, late in my tenure with Vantiv, they asked me to be the chief risk officer and help them even bring their payment facilitation business to the next level. And I'll land the plane here. The reason why I told you that story was as Vantiv was thriving with payment facilitation, we knew the integrated software vendor and ISV was going to become kind of that new ISO out there. Right. And that they wanted to do it with payment facilitation. And um, my sons, and one of them is here, Nicholas Oberman was the founder. He's going to tell you his story is Retriever a Chicago story. They were building, they were a client of ours at Vantiv. And they were building a beautiful sales organization um, and growing like a weed. And I went to the team at Vantiv and I said, hey, I would really like to go back into being an entrepreneur. This corporate thing's been great. You guys have treated me great. But I want to go build a full service acquiring organization under the payment facilitator model. And I went to Nick and my other son, Adam, and my nephew Ryan, and I said, "Hey, let's do this thing. let's Let's take Retriever of Chicago to the next level and let's begin to build out the infrastructure because I believe the market needs a refreshing alternative to the big boys to to go to the market and be competitive. Sure. And so that's what we did. in in fifteen, late fifteen, I joined what became Payrock. It, uh, we rebranded Retriever Chicago to Payrock. We brought in a a, a bank, a, a large regional bank, MB Financial, mm-hmm. to invest in our company and help us execute on acquisitions. And um, MB later, and we're going to tell you, the story became merged into Fifth Third Bank. It's funny how this all, it's a small industry, the way yeah. things yeah. work, but the story is, We we bought iTransact, which was one of my clients at at Vantiv. They had a beautiful, powerful gateway, and we merged iTransact into PayRock. And then, where we really had a breakthrough, um, Patty and Jim, was in late 2017. uh, One of my buddies forever in the industry, Mike Ponder, who was building integrity payment systems, Mike built a full service acquiring, full stack. Acquiring entity. Yep. And he was doing everything in-house. Yep. And he had an opportunity to buy out his partner, his bin sponsor bank. And we got together and joined Payrock with integrity early in 16, late, late, actually, um late 17, early. We closed the deal in January of 18. And that's when we became a powerhouse in. The industry at that point, we transformed ourselves from being a retail ISO sales organization into a full service acquirer. And at that point, we already had a pay we were doing. And that's when kind of PayRock was the, the world was, who are these guys? These are the new kids on the block. right? And it was really on the backbone of re, it, it was really the culture of retriever, the lessons we learned at Vantive to really run a great processing and full-service acquirer. We put it all together and then boom, we partnered with Mike Ponder and here we are in the market just growing like a weed, differentiating. I'm going to get into why we're different, but our story is then uh, we're growing and in some, Nick, when was it? In sometime in 2009, early 19. MB Financial came to us and said, hey, um, we love you guys. We're going to be merging with Fifth Third. Jim, I know you and your team know uh, the Fifth Third people real well because we used to run risk for Vanov. And um, they said, look, we're going to be merging into Fifth Third Bank. And at that point, Fifth Third became our partner and we loved it. But they said, because, you're, because we're an investor in your company, you can't do your international activities. And we said, no, we can't do that. So that's when we had a lot of private equity firms banging on our door. And that's when Parthenon, in in, during 2019 in the spring, Parthenon Capital, who had been the private equity behind Henry's Kion mm-hmm. um, journey right. Right. into Tesis, they banged on our door and said, Jim, look, we love what Payrock is. You're a full stack, full service acquirer we have made an investment in a company by the name of nextgen which was in is Alavon's largest iso we've right. made an investment in um, payscape which is first american payment systems largest iso and we're we need your help we're about to close on buying bluepay canada from first data which is a full service acquirer up in canada we'd love to put we'd love to make payrock the processing platform to put together the next powerhouse of full service acquirers in the United States and we said okay let's go for it and we put that deal together we closed that we recapitalized Payrock last year and we joined NextGen Payscape, and BluePay Canada right. all together mixed it together and 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 again Jim I don't want it this st- I, I want to get past this cuz I want to talk about Make sure we focus on what we're doing for the agent and the ISO, but we're on a run right now of thirty billion dollars a year. Right. We find ourselves getting into that rare air. You know, we know who the big guys are in the market. We love them. You got Fiserv, you got FIS, you got Global, Thesis, um, you've got Elevon out there, and and now you know you kind of have Paysafe in that real big boy bucket. Right, right. And then kind of in that thirty billion to $75 billion range. You've got iPayment, Priority, Evil Payments, North American bank card, and guess now who the kid, new kid on the block is? Payrock. Exactly. Right. So here we are an organization, and I'm gonna just give you the bullet points of the things that make us unique. We are a full service acquirer. We control everything in-house. We have direct certification for auth and capture with all the big processors but that's where we we take the baton from there. We do most of the clearing, all of the settlement, all the billing, all the risk, all the encryption, all the call center, all the service. We do it it's our statements, it's our billing. We're the ones that really touch all the control, the entire merchant experience for the ISO and agents merchant. And we we find that to be a very compelling refreshing message to the ISO and agent is that look come come here be a part of us we we're, we're in a unique place we we're in that family with companies like paya first american payment systems i3 right. verticals Clearance, shift4 merchant e but all those companies i mentioned they're great competitors very formidable competitors but what they don't do that we can do we can do everything the big boys can do and we could be nimble and last but not least we we knew we knew that technology more and more was going to drive distribution and we're going to be talking a little bit today about our reward pay program which is our we have a compliant cash discount program and a compliant surcharge program right and we knew though that we knew that that phenomenon sweeping our country today that Jim, you and Patty have talked about in another podcast has given new, a rebirth to the ISO and agent. But the reality is we know the market, the, the addressable market for the ISO and agent is shrinking as technology and integrated payments begins to take its place of traditional merchant acquiring. Right. And what I saw as an executive at Vanna, for example, and I see with the other big boys, is the big guys, as much as we love them, and we use their authorization platform, they're not that interested in letting the ISO and agent play in the integrated payment sandbox.
0: Right, that sounds like two different businesses to them.
3: Yeah, said, hmm, we, we've got something, our roots are an ISO and agent, we have a lot of bank referral partners. We got a lot of ISVs. And we said, look it, we got a technology stack and engineering capability. Let's open our full tech stack to all of our sales channels mm-hmm. and be ubiquitous and, and let everybody drive new business by relationship. And that's really resonated. And John and Nick are gonna tell you the, the rest of that story, but our our whole thesis is and we're gonna talk about acquisitions on your last question. We we've got the capital partner in Parthenon who's got the industry experience. They journeyed Henry through the Kion journey, and that was a very successful initiative. We've got the experience and expertise. We got a very young management team that you know everybody could go to our website and look at. And we said, heck, let's let's put the ISO and agent in a position. Where they don't have to walk away from some of the deals they're walking away from today. Right. And that's kind of our, you know, when John and Nick are out there in the trenches talking to ISOs and agents and they're gonna tell you their story. That's what we're saying. We're saying, hey, come on home and you don't have to think about selling part of your book. You don't have to, you don't have to maybe think about even getting out of the business. We're gonna help you reinvent how you go to market, how you sell. And you could take this as far as you want to take it. So, so Jim, I'll show you there. I'll let you ask me any questions before we turn it over to John.
0: No, I like it, I think. And I think, you know, your last point is such a good one because I think so many ISOs and agents, they see the writing on the wall. They know that ISVs are taking over at, you know whether it's in five years, three years, 10 years, whatever. You know, as you said, there's this, this shrinking. And so more and more agents are walking out of businesses that they would normally pitch, but they see that IS, they see that integration. So I think that's, you know, it's great that you're bringing that to the market and saying to the ISOs and, and agents, hey, you can have a piece of it, too, because to your point, most of the larger shops, they are looking at it as kind of a separate thing. It's like they have their ISV channel and then they have their ISO channel, right?
3: That's right. Yeah, we want to we make it all one family. Now, we've, we've got to carefully manage any conflicts. But at the end of the day, here's the way, if, if you were an agent, Jim, and you've done it, you've been out there in the street uh-huh. selling. I would say five years ago, you could go call on 10 businesses. And maybe one of them is going to say, well, you know what? I've integrated my processing right. with my software company that I'm using. Right.
0: Now it's but like four. Say,
3: it might be four out of ten. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's that simple. And it, yep. what we, our strategy is, we're trying to up that at-bat rate up again. Right. Get their, get, it, get their batting average up. Now we got to sit down and talk about how you split up the pie. Of course. We are competing against the stripes. Right. the aliens of the world, the Vantage, you know, right. we're, there's a new whole environment of who we're competing against. Right. And and those ISVs that are thriving. So, and,
0: and there's a cost to the ISV model as well. That's going to have to be put into the, you know, it's not the same as the old, you know, you're, you're, you know, there's two parties, you got the ISO and the agent splitting everything up. Now it's the ISO, the ISV and the agent. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. Well, this is a really good transition. So John, let's, let's uh, transition over to you. So um, let's start off actually, John, can you just give us a little, little bit of your story? Um, I know a lot of our listeners probably know you, but um, if you could give us a little bit of your story, how you got in the industry, and then tell us what you're doing now at Payrock.
4: Um, Sure, and thanks for having us on. Um, So I, I got into the business in 2004. Um, so I've been in a long time, not quite as long as, as Jim, but um, in 2004 with uh, First Data, and it was the Card Service International business. So I basically was their senior vice president of sales running their agent program. And as we know, CSI became, you know, FDIS and then it became Ignite Payments and now it's Card Connect. Right. Um, That expanded while I was at First Data to include the retail and wholesale ISOs on Omaha. Um, So I had the ISO agent program for First Data and in 2006, Seven, I believe it was. We did the Chase divest- divestiture, right? Um, and all those Chase Payment Tech ISOs came over. So all of a sudden, we had this like eight hundred different ISOs out there between Chase and um, you know different platforms within First Data. And that was my role was to uh, work with all of those through our team, um, help to grow, add more agents, add more ISOs. But but in a lot of in reality, because it was First Data. We had a lot of them, right? We had to figure out how to how to get them to grow and to help help make that happen. Um, so I did that for ten years, and then I uh, I left there to go be president at NextGen. And as Jim pointed out, NextGen was the largest MSP of Elevon. right? But at the time, honestly, nobody knew who NextGen. I didn't even know who NextGen was when they called me, right? Right. Uh, but they but Elevon knew them and. <clears throat> and when I went to talk to Tom Natopi, who was the CEO and Giuseppe, and I got to see their story and I got to meet their people and I saw their technology, I'm going, wow. And I, in fact, I told Tom, I said, Tom, this is the greatest, I mean, you're the, you know, the greatest secret out there, right? right. Um, so I I ended up joining them. I was their their president for their US business. Giuseppe ran the international side of the business. And, and honestly, from you know, in the last six years, seven years, uh, we had dynamic uh, double digit growth um, in the U.S. through that period. And it was a lot of expansion of our agent ISO program. It was a lot of um, developing new partnerships. We developed a direct partnership with First Data. So we had something as in in addition to, to Elevon. And we really put out a program that was very beneficial to partners that wanted to do business with us. So I did that for seven years. And then as y'all know, earlier this year, uh, as Jim described, we we ended up through our affiliation with Parthenon. Um, we ended up merged with Payrock, Payscape, um, Caledon. And you know, I'm the executive vice president along with Nick for the agent ISO channel. And, and today and, and really for the past year, what we've been doing is we've been putting together the the various organizations, if you will, of the Payrock Integrity um, Legacy Group, right. the Next Gen Legacy Group, the Payscape Legacy Group, and yeah. we really have spent a lot of time and energy this year putting it together. We have a pretty, what well, we do, we have a single, cohesive, um, powerful group that can go out and get the message that that Jim talked about out in the marketplace.
1: So John, tell me, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of experience. I mean, you you both have, but I'm wondering from your perspective, what do you think are sort of like the top two or three challenges when it comes to, you know, growing an independent sales organization and maybe a little bit about what uh, PayRock is doing to address these challenges? Sure. You only want three? Well, you know. (laughs) we do have just limited kidding. time <laughs> yeah. there are uh, so just, many <laughs> yeah.
4: um at the know, top <laughs> I, i'm going to talk i'm going to actually go i'm going to answer that question in in a in a in one way and then you know nick's going to talk a little bit more about some of the specific things that we've been doing it but i'll tell you one of the i think one of the biggest challenges for anybody that wants to grow an iso agent channel is to be able to get through the noise that's in the marketplace and be able to reach out to not only prospective agents, because if we want to grow it, we got to bring on new agents and we got to get our existing agents to do more business. Right. But I got to get through the noise that's in the marketplace. And the noise by noise, what I mean is all the stuff that's out there in the marketplace on, on rates, on bonuses, on free terminals, on all those things that are still out there in, in, in the marketplace. And really try to break through that, to be able to get the message that that Jim talked about, the message that Payrock wants to get in the marketplace, to be able to um, tell them and basically show them the true value of what what uh, a company like Payrock can give them and what they really need. Because we mm-hmm. our belief is that there's a lot more to being a successful agent or ISO than a good buy rate, sure. and what we can offer them is a whole, whole lot more than a good buy rate. You know, between the the platform that that Jim talked about, I mean, think about this, the message that we could go out with and this, I think the experience that all of us have had in working with large processors, like I was with, you know, arguably the the big gorilla, right? First data. Then I went and ran a small little ISO, relatively speaking. And I had the perspective of both sides of saying, what is a processor doing and looking for, but what does an ISO really need? We've done at Payrock is we put the two together and we basically said, we're going to give you the attributes that you can get from these big guys, that full service acquiring platform. We can do it as a single point of contact. We can do it and reach three major networks out there to do the auth settle. We take care of the rest. You only deal with our team and our team as Nick will describe is really structured to be able to provide that level of service and support and the things that they need. And the other thing that I think is a challenge is getting agents to understand the technology aspect, yeah. right, the, that we just kind of all talked about, but I think more and more people are getting that because yeah. they seeing it more in the marketplace and what we can do there, but also then educating them and getting them to understand how to build up their business, the business, not just focus on the problem, but how do they build up their business By focusing on the profitability side of it and what to do. So, you know, for example, the reward pay solution that, that Jim talked about, that's a, that we're, that's almost 30% of our new sales now. And that's a high margin, high profitable business. It's a trending business. And so our challenge is get our folks to understand the power of that solution. Right. Go out and focus on that. And it'll make their job of being a successful agent a lot easier. So,
0: you know, one of the things I love that you brought up, John, is, you know, I think the challenge a lot of times with these agents and I, especially the agent level, you know, the individual people, um, they get so caught up in how much am I going to get when I make a sale, rather than thinking about how am I going to make a sale. Right, right. So it's like, well, if I can shave a penny off of my schedule a cost, that's a win. Well, not really, if now you are going to sell a lot less accounts because you don't have the solutions that you need to meet the needs of the merchant. So I think um, that that shift is something I talk about a lot in my content as well, because, you know, that's great that you got a lower Schedule A or you got a slightly higher residual split. But ultimately, if you're going to now make six sales a month instead of 12, you just lost. That was a that was a bad decision. Right.
4: (laughs) Do you see that? That's a that's that's a on that. Right. That's a really good point. And I would argue that, and and also the other side of that is not only do I get more sales because I've got more solutions, right? Right. To to provide, but I also have more profitable solutions. Exactly. Even if you're, you're out selling it at the end of the day, a basis point or a transaction fee, you know, a penny or two, that's just not going to make a difference if you're selling the right kind of solutions. And if you're looking at it, Long term, from what you're doing for your your portfolio, will um, end up being much more successful and much more profitable. Without, and your point is exactly that: looking at the the rate today, or that upfront bonus, or whatever it may be,
0: right? Versus the lifetime value of the account and your ability to apply. Yeah. it first place. So, so, so Nick, let's let's transition because I know you know I really want to make sure we have time to go through these different things that Payrock has to offer. I think it's such a unique approach. Um, so Nick, let's start off. Give us your story a little bit. How did you get into the, the Payrock side of things? Um, what are you doing there now? What is your What is your role?
5: Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you uh, for having us on. We appreciate it. So I started in about 2003, so about a year before John. Um, I was fresh out of school. I was convinced to myself that I wanted to be a pilot. I was trying to uh, trying to do that, and um, things were a little weird at that time in the aviation business due to 9/11. So so. I flew to Houston actually for a sales conference and they were trying to court my father on being on their board at Retriever Payment Systems. Right. And I saw a lot of people making a lot of money, doing a lot of nice things and having a great time doing it. And so simply I asked, "What, what is it exactly that you guys do? And they said, well, basically we sell credit card equipment and we give the ability to accept the payment electronically. And prior to that, when I was 16 years old, I actually worked for my father's leasing company down in Chicago, sure. the NBC <laughs> tower, cleaning Zons and Trans330s and Printer250s. Sure.
0: And
5: So I knew the basics of it, but I didn't really know how it worked. So I worked for a couple ISOs out of, well, one out of Chicago, one out of Indiana, and then one out of New York. Um, I took all three of those experiences and the knowledge that I learned and I actually came, you know, my uh, my father has been my mentor throughout. And I said, listen, I I don't really love what everybody's doing today in their own particular ISO. I'd like to take what I've learned from those three and combine that and do something on my own. Um, so I, I went out on my own on the street, you know, making appointments on a Monday in the car, Tuesday through Thursday, paperwork Friday. And, um, I was a, uh, gold star member at Motel six, I'm sure at some point throughout that time. And so, I got to the point where the, the the business was growing to where I couldn't personally handle it just for me. You know, I was an independent agent. Right. My brother, Adam Oberman, Oberman, our chief revenue officer here at Payrock, was then working in the risk department for my father. And I said, listen, I need help. You know, I don't care what you're doing right now. You're hired 50-50. I'm going to teach you the ropes. Come on over. Um, shortly after that, my cousin, Ryan Hallett, who's also uh, on the executive team for Payrock, was graduating college was excited to see what we were doing. Um, and we just started in a 10 by 10 office, us three, making calls, taking turns, running appointments. But we always were very good at making sure we did right by the merchant. It wasn't a love them and leave them atmosphere. Right. We, right. we got really good at um, interchange and what it meant and how to work it and how to price merchants and how to service them. And, you know, we we did a lot of learning on, you know, that was the Excel extravaganza that we'd have in the office every day. And so people were noticing a difference with us rather than just going in and say, Oh, yeah, I'm looking at your statement, I can save you some money. We were showing them proof how we could save the money. And they liked that. And This is back in the early 2000s, when people were not doing that. So um it continued to grow uh, what was Retriever of Chicago at the time. And we always kind of had a little joke, the bigger the building, the more people we would get. And sure enough, we'd sign a four year lease. And within, you know, the first year. We're busting at the seams. Sure. So um, it was an exciting time. People liked being a part of it. It was all 1099 agents. And um, slowly but surely, of course, you know, we were Retriever, then NPC, then Vantive, And, you know, then we felt like we were the big boys because we had built quite yeah. a big business. So we started venturing off the first data and others. And even though my father at the time was an executive at Vantiv, um, we always thought the grass was greener like everybody else does.
0: Right. Sure. Now, it's
5: funny now because I'm sitting on the opposite side of the table. Um, so that being said, a really long story shortened up. Um, I had gotten to the point where we were being recognized by the big, you know, players in the industry. And my father said, listen, I'd love to be a part of that. And at that time, we really didn't know how to, to make that work, given of his stature, what he was, you know, what his salaries were. I said, listen, I can't, we can't compete. He goes, I see something special in what you guys here, what you guys have here at Payrock, what you've created, the environment, the people. Um, you're doing things right. You're focusing on big business, B2B interchange management. But you have, you have a business. You don't have a company. If you, Ryan and Adam, were to get on an airplane today and that airplane were to go down, Payrock would be no more. Right. You need to create a company that has a life beyond you three. And I think I can come in and help you with that. And at the time we had no technology, we had no gateways, you know, we third-partied everything. Right, right. Uh, but we but we did it well. So um he came in the mix and I remember the first day sitting, you know, on the other side, and I had never worked directly with my father. Um, and he said, Nick, what do you want me to do? And I said, you know, go go look for opportunities out in the market that we may be able to either merge into, buy. I said it in a different term. I won't say it on this uh, podcast, but I said, go buy something. And that's really when it all began with our first big acquisition with iTransact and with MB Financial. You know, I had sat on the board at for the advisory board with the guys over at iTransact, nothing but love for them throughout the decade that we did together. And um, so it really just, you know, in our industry, I think it's really about the people that you surround yourself with. And I think I've been very lucky to ro- surround myself with just absolutely amazing people, from, you know, the early days to the first transaction to the one that we just did with Parthenon. I mean, meeting people like John Barrett and Adam Bloomston and Tom Natopi and Giuseppe and uh, just everybody that's involved, it it just felt right. and And that's what's most exciting about right now with Payrock. Um, we're able to go out and really pitch a different message of listen, I was on the other side of the table for 15 years. I was the one negotiating these contracts with these acquirers, with right. these processors. I know what you're going through, I know what you're feeling. And what I've always stood true by, and Adam and Ryan and some of the ex- other executives, we still are actively involved in day-to-day merchant sales calls, whether it be in person, over the phone, Zoom. Right. I don't want to lose touch of that, because no. if you do, and you're just one of the executives sitting in your high castle or whatever people think you might be sitting in, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. So we, you know, John and I structure the ISO agent portion of Payrock around real experience, not yeah. about yeah. what people are reporting to me. Right. You know, this is real experience. And I know there were a lot of times when I was with some of our partners in the past that we were spending so much time trying to figure things out, trying to make sure this was right. Can we work with this technology? Right. Does this ISV go with this? And, you know, we took it, Payrock, we took everybody that was great at what they did. and We put them in position to help our partners. And people just today, they need love. I mean, the folks out there in the industry that are looking for partnerships, looking for a processor, they just want somebody to say, we have the ability to help you go do what you do good. And that's
0: sell merchant accounts. That's actually a a great segue, Nick, because, you know, you do have so much experience, you know, directly, whether it's you actually selling merchant accounts, that's something I did as well. And, you know, you have that experience. Um, You're staying fresh with it. You're talking to these ISOs and agents. So we heard from John in terms of the challenges, you know, to run a business serving them. What about their challenges? Like you mentioned a couple just now, but let's talk about it. I mean, you've got, you know, yeah, where you've got Stripe, you've got all these new competitors, you've got ISV integrations. What is the ISO and agent? What are they facing in your mind? What's the big challenge for them? And what are you trying to do uh, at Payrock to, to help them out?
5: Well, I think it's twofold. I think you've got you've got your smaller independents and smaller ISOs, and then you've got your larger ones. And I think I'll start the larger because the larger ones get to a point where I got. We got to a point where we wanted our 100 over. We wanted our one basis point, our $0.03, cents, whatever it was at the time. And finally, when you get something like that, what happens? There's no partnership anymore. That partnership aspect completely goes away. It's one-sided. And then the processor ultimately ends up not giving as much attention, not maybe willing to share technology and tools that they may have acquired because there's no revenue for them. Right. It's just something to say, hey, listen, we've got them on the books. They write deals with us. We don't make a lot of money, but they're there. Right. Um, So in turn with us, you know, on the larger ones, we're going to the market and saying, listen. We're going to be a little bit more expensive for you as it goes for maybe a schedule A aspect or a rev share. But at the end of the day, like you said um, earlier, it it doesn't matter on the pricing if you're not able to get accounts. Right. If you're not able to go out there and utilize technology, it doesn't matter if you have whatever. If you have complete one hundred percent over, you have nothing. If you have nothing, and <laughs> then for this and for the smaller folks, they just want somebody to really say, listen, what's the next step? What, what do I need to do to build my business? Do you have people to help me recruit? Do you have people to help me with ISV? Do you have people to help me with deployment, equipment questions, um, integration, gateway? All of those things used to take hours upon hours and days upon days. And now we have these teams in place. And from day one, they're going to meet everybody at Payrock. They're going to know who to go to exactly for what. We have regional sales directors throughout the United States. So no matter what part of the country you're in, you're going to have that personal touch. If you need somebody at a meeting tomorrow, there's going to be somebody in your area. So we really truly believe in that old, you know, some may say cheesy saying, but people do business with people. And at the end of the day, in our industry, as you know, your name is, if once it's tarnished, it's tarnished. Absolutely. And we've been very... We've tried our best to make sure that we always do right, whether it be a smaller ISO or a large ISO. We treat them the same way. We just may go a little bit different direction based on their needs.
0: Love it. Love it. That's great. So, um, wow, this is just so interesting. Um, I do have one more question. Jim, I want to go back to you for this last one. So, you know, obviously the Payrock team, you have pursued this uh, strategy of acquisition. And pulling organizations together, whether it be you know with integrity, and then moving on, and then this latest you know, combination. So there's a lot of executives in the industry that say that looks great. I want to do that too. <laughs> you know, um, maybe it's not quite as easy as it looks, right? Uh, so, right. So what I want to hear from you is like the insights. You know, I talk to a lot of people in consulting and things like that that are, oh yeah, we're going to build our business with all these acquisitions. And so talk to those executives at the higher levels that maybe have that. Decent size ISO. They're looking to make acquisitions. Why did you choose that particular strategy? Why has your team gone after that? And what are some of the challenges that you faced along the way with with pursuing
3: it? That's a that's a great question. Um, and, and and you know, I, I guess I've I've reached a point where I have some wisdom because I've made a lot of mistakes, right? And I've learned from those mistakes. And and what I would tell somebody is. In order to build an organization, you gotta focus on what I call your organic growth, your blocking and tackling. The things that John and Nick focused on, that's what we're all about. You walk into one of our management team meetings, we're talking about how do we serve our existing clients better because the sales channels number one, the agent ISO is number one, and how do we recruit recruit more that need what we got? And what happens is though, if you're gonna be competitive in payments, you've got to complement an organic growth engine with a very smart acquisition strategy. And the other problem today is there's a lot of capital in the world that loves payments. You know, you wake up on January 1st, you know where a lot of your revenue's at. Even an agent that's got a nice book, he knows he's going to get a recurring residual on accounts he wrote the last five years. So what I encourage other executives to think about as they're building their business, just don't go buy stuff to buy stuff. Go, go look at things that are gonna fit with you and fit with your plan and enhance your organic growth. And <clears throat> that's what PayRock's been doing. And that's the, the experience, you know, for example, the Vantiv phenomenal growth trajectory they were massively brilliant at how they acquired things and put them together. Now they've gotten so big, they forgot about what made them great, but they'll figure that out. They'll get back to that. Maybe, maybe not, who knows. But at the end of the day, my advice to people is just don't, if you have the, the talent and the access to capital to buy something first, focus on the people part of it, the technology part of it, and how it's going to complement your core business, and if it doesn't, don't just buy it to buy it. And and you'll see that with the four investments we've made in the last 12 months, we bought we made a minority investment in a technology company that's a payment facilitator. We're helping we're helping software companies with seed capital so they can grow. We we acquired eConduit, which is a technology company that allows an ISV within 15 minutes to write to our API to certify a beautiful inventory of terminals to make it quick and easy. Right. We we bought um, strategic payment systems, John Stevens and Rick Pilot. Rick used to be the president of the ETA. Why? Because they had beautiful distribution. They had expertise in markets and they excel at agent and ISO. They fit They fit with us like a glove. We just did Bluestone Payments, which is Linda Rossetti, an industry veteran. She was an executive at Global. She has some unbelievable referral partnerships that need the technology we have. So my advice to people, Jim and Patty, when they're saying, "Okay, how do I kind of do what Payrock's been doing? Because that looks like a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. But I would say it really, it starts and it ends with... Knowing who's out there in the market, saying evaluating and say does that person in their team fit with our culture? Will we be able to work together? Can we all humble ourselves? That's another thing. Um, yeah, we've got a very talented executive team, and when you look at our roster, you might say, "How do you take all those alpha dogs and get them all to work together?" You know, Tom the Topi, Mike Ponder. You know, I go down the list of you know why. <clears throat> Because it's not about us, it's about our sales channels, our ISOs, our agents, our referral partners, our ISVs. We just like going out there in the market and win. So, answer your question, focus on those kinds of things that you could buy or partner with that are going to complement what made you great. And don't forget what made you great. And don't let it, when you grow like we have, I would, if you said, Jim, what's your biggest job? My biggest job is reminding everybody. That hard work pays off. Focus on the little things, and all this big stuff you end up doing, it's gonna, it's gonna work out. Yeah. That's our, that's really pay rock in a nutshell. Let's stay down there in the trenches, work hard, humble yourself, and, and go, go win in the market.
0: I love it. Yeah, we we see a lot in our industry where, you know, at least from the outside, it looks like a lot of these deals. It's just a purely financial play. You know, uh, we just want to buy this. To your point, buy it to buy it because we want bigger top line revenue. We think there's, eventually we'll find some synergies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not if you, not if everybody's at each other's throats and it's a bad culture fit and everything else. So I think that's, I think that's great. So, all right. So uh, last question here, whoever wants to answer it, I know a lot of our partners, uh, you know, a lot of people that are listening to the podcast, our audience, they're going to want to learn more about Payrock. They're going to want to learn more about the ISO programs, the technology, things you've talked about. Where would you guys send them to uh, learn more about you?
4: Nick, John? I, I, would, I would say a couple things. First of all, go to our website, payrock.com. Um, we have access there to all of our different channels um, for more information and that sort of thing. Um, but also feel free because, I mean, as you stated, all of us are well known in the, in the industry. We're all on LinkedIn. We all have contacts and stuff. I, feel free to reach out directly to anybody um, in our team, to Nick, myself, um, and we'll we'll set up and get you in the right person.
0: Awesome. Nice.
5: Yeah, you. real quick, go you, when you go to payrock.com, if you do go that route, go to payrock.com, select the, select the down drop and uh, go to partners. Really simple to get a hold of us. Um, and like John said, too, we're all accessible via LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. And, and for those who maybe don't know, for some reason, it's payrock without the K. So it's P-A-Y-R-O-C. Uh, dot com <laughs> just just in case some of our
5: listeners maybe never never capitalize the r
0: that's right there you go yeah, yeah so yeah. good got it awesome so there. guys thank you so much uh, for your time today uh, the insights I really respect what you have built there i res- I respect what you are building um, I think it's really exciting and I think it's something that uh, does have a unique place in the industry a lot of these Uh, Companies, I feel like, oh, we got this Me Too company, just like everybody else. What you guys are doing, I really think is unique. And I know a lot of our audience is going to agree and and check it out. So thanks so much for joining us today. So, Patty, we got to talk about Valor Paytech, the official sponsor for the podcast. I always enjoy this little segment every week to kind of dig into some things. Um, Ironically, I was at an industry event a couple of days ago and Uh I got to see them demo um, their solution to all of the agents at this big processing company. So that was kind of fun. Oh, For that um, yeah. And we actually had made the introduction. So that was nice. Came from the podcast. They had reached out. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And, you know, the thing that I really came away with is, is really a simple insight, but it's something I think a lot of people just miss out on. And that is, you know, these cash discounting deals. And I was talking to a lot of reps that are top reps that are selling cash discounting. And, they were very excited about Valor. They were excited that their processor, their ISO was offering Valor PayTech mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're tired of not being able to sell technology when they sell cash discounting.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: And it, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's not. I mean, you know, there are so many merchants that have literally been talked out of their payment integration with mm-hmm. their e-invoicing or gateway or whatever in order to do cash discounting because the savings are so big, it justified them losing an integration that they liked. Right. And now they have this back to the standalone terminal. It's like they went backwards four or five years in technology in order to get cash discounting. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is cash discounting is entering a new phase. And a lot of agents are telling me that they're, they're stealing accounts. Like mm-hmm. cash discounting is fair game now. It's not like it was even six months or a year ago where, Pretty much anybody you sold cash discounting to, they never even heard of it, you know? Right, right. Now, a lot of cash discount sales are actually flips. And yeah. there's only two ways you're going to flip a cash discount deal. You can lower the consumer, uh, you know, piece of it. Right. Right. So race to zero. Here we go again. Here we go again. Or you can say, hey, I'm guessing you gave up a lot of technology when you decided to do cash discounting with our company. We can do the exact same program you have now, but you can Mm -hmm. have an integrated gateway. You can have it integrated with your terminal. You can have a mobile solution. You can have e-invoicing. You can have pay over the phone. You know, you can have all of the things that you want, which are all things that Valor offers that are integrated and, of course, processor agnostic. Um, So it's one of those things where, you know, it's really interesting for me to actually firsthand see the excitement from the salespeople. That's what was Mm -hmm. cool to me is here's an ISO that said, hey, let's jump in with Valor and give it a shot. And seeing the salespeople kind of light up and go, wow, like you mean I can sell cash discounting and actually have good technology to go with it and have this omni-channel solution and integrations is like, wow, this is amazing. And so I definitely get something that a lot of ISO execs that are listening, if you haven't already gotten your demo, you know, right. go and get your demo. It's ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, com slash V-A-L-O-R. Get your free demo. I'm telling you, your reps that are selling cash discounting, they are going to love this and they're going to be really, really pumped about it. And honestly, even if you're up to traditional processing, it's got some really, really nice solutions
1: there. Well, you know, it's the technology. The technology is just so slick and it's That's like, you know, as you said, cash discounting for so long has been sort of a a savings play, you know, and it needs to be more than a savings play. I mean, technology is integral to this business. Yep. I love it. So
0: awesome. So uh, ccsalesprocom slash valor. Thanks everybody.
2: This is questions from the field brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
0: So, Patty, I was thinking about what do we want to do for today's segment on questions from the field. And, you know, one of the ones I get most often is how to sell on value rather than how to sell on price. Uh, It's a common theme on our podcast of, you know, ISOs and agents trying to make this leap from, uh, you know, transactional price-based sales savings to more of -of point-of-sale systems, gateways, et cetera, et cetera, right?
1: Right. Sure, Um, of course.
0: So, one of the big misconceptions around this is this idea that selling on value means selling a bunch of things at one time. And so, so a lot of people think, well, I have two options. I can either sell merchant services or I can sell merchant services with a POS system and a loyalty program and time clock management and inventory management. And, you know, and you're like, Oh, and that gets like, wow. Right. Like it's overwhelming. it, It is. It's very overwhelming and a lot of salespeople just don't know how to approach it. And so, what happens is they end up going in, and it's it's a um, it's a real problem because it's a very deceptive um, information loop. You go mm-hmm. in and do that. What's going to happen is merchants are going to be very interested. That's the thing that's confusing about it. You just sure. do not sell any of them.
1: Right. <laughs> so right, hey, this is cool, but they're man, like, wow, this okay. is
0: amazing. We really need to think about this for the next year. You right. know. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then you go back again and they're like, oh, we haven't had time to think about that. We, we really like you, though. This sounds awesome. We need to think. Can you give us more information? You know, what happens is you're in this never-ending decision cycle. Right. And that's not really the way you sell it. If you want to sell on value, you still need to sell one thing at a time. Right. Okay? Or another way to put it is one feature at a time. Mm-hmm. So now that you can get multiple yes decisions on one visit or you know through multiple visits, but you have to look at them each individually. So you don't want to go in and say like, hey, the reason I'm here today is to talk to you about everything we have to offer, <laughs> you know, and show you every feature that's available on our system mm-hmm. for the next two hours and see if you want it. That's a yeah. horrible idea. Right. what you want to do is you want to go in with this idea of discovering the need. So asking questions, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. how do you currently manage time clock? You know, do your people, you know, do you have a clock in a clock out system that's airtight? Oh, we use a punch card in a machine in the back. Really? Let me show you our time clock system. You, you show them that it's part of your POS, right? Right, right. And you say, you know, you kind of minimize the rest. You know, the rest of our point of sale system, I'm sure you've seen, obviously, you know, at some point you're going to want a POS system, right? But let me ask you this, as far as our time clock management, if that was something that we could get installed for you, is that where you would see a definite value for your business and you'd want to move forward? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, yeah, we would love to have that time clock thing. Okay, great. And then you get that yes. And if you can just install a POS system and say, look, I'm going to put the point of sale system in. I'm going to start by getting all the time clock stuff set up and the inventory, which is the basics. And then there's a lot of other things we'll talk about later, but let's just get the basics going. And so the idea is what's the minimum amount you've got to pitch in order to get that yes to give them enough value to say yes, right? Now, they might say, you know what, we have a digital time clock management system separate and we love it. It's already integrated with our payroll provider, right? And you say, Mm -hmm. well, that's fantastic. I'm glad you have already got that. So we definitely won't need to have that, you know, feature enabled. Let me ask you this. How do you currently manage inventory? When you go to do an inventory order, how does that occur? Well, we walk around the store with a notepad and we try to write down anything that we think is missing. Yeah. And then you say, really? Wow, I'm so glad I stopped by. Let me talk to you about our inventory management. And then you go into that. And then you say, you know, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, it looks like this would make your life a lot easier by having this uh, solution installed. Would you agree? Yeah, this would be great. Okay, talk about that. Close it. Get them to, you know, sign them up. Install it. Then talk about loyalty. Then yeah. talk about the text marketing add-on. Whatever it is. So the idea is, you know, you you sometimes you have to sell multiple things together. Obviously, if you're selling your POS system, you're probably selling merchant services. Mm-hmm. So the way you do that is, you have to assume the other things. So let's get let's go back to the example I just gave. I'm selling a point of sale system. I've got them really interested based on the inventory management. I say now One of the things that we do in order to make everything even more seamless, we do provide the payment processing for you as well so that it's all tightly integrated. As you know, payment processing is really just a utility at this point, um, just like your electric bill or your water bill. So what we'll do is we will want to get a statement from you of what you're currently paying. We'll just match your rates, no big deal. And that way, you know, you don't have to worry about that. That'll be integrated. Now, let me show you one other thing with this inventory management. You see what I'm doing? It's like, you know, inventory management, inventory management, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to do this other stuff. Now, inventory management... So right. I'm selling that. That's what I'm selling. Sometimes you do have to include other things. You know, maybe I'm doing the, the time clock. And then I'm like, now, you know, you're going to be able to do time clock on your new um, Clover Flex or your point terminal or whatever, right? Um, now, there are some other things about it. You know, it does have some basic inventory management. And we'll get into all that later when we do the installation. But I really just want to show you and make sure you understand how this time clock thing works. You know, sell one thing at a time. And again, you can structure your pitch to get multiple yeses to different things on one visit. I know reps that sell two, three, four things in a bundle on one visit, but not at one time. They get a yes to one. Then they say, now, let me talk about one other thing. So I I know you want this. We're, We're good there. Now, let me talk about this. Okay, yes, you want that. Okay, now, I know you want these two things. We're locked in there. One other thing I want to bring up. So you can sell multiple things, but you got to sell them one at a time if you're trying to sell on value.
1: And then it also would seem that it gives you the opportunity, even if you don't sell, maybe you only sell the inventory or the payroll, you know, or the time clock thing. You can come back a couple months later.
0: Absolutely. And
1: gives you a good
0: reason to keep coming back. It does. And, you know, the best sales, the the salespeople in our industry that are going to be the most successful, you know, the next two years, the agents are going to make the most money in our industry are the ones selling cash discounting in any form or fashion. I'm sorry, but there's just no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. I've I've seen them. I was just at a conference two days ago, talking to them that are making 40, 50, 60,000 a month in residual. So like, those are the reps that are going to make the most money. There's no doubt. But I think if you look three, four, five years from now, It may be those same reps, but it's those reps that, whether they're selling cash discount or whatever, that are going to make that pivot, that transition to upselling additional technology and and services that are going to make them, you know, future-proof so that the ISVs don't come in and steal their accounts.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, Patty.
2: This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, the Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: Well, you know, James, it's coming down to the wire for EMV compliance for pay at pump devices. It's just uh, four months away. Yep. And all indications are that many of these devices are not going to be in compliance by then. Right. Right. And we we've talked about this in the past, but I just thought it was interesting. A survey came across my desk this week from Connexus, which is a technology consultant to uh, C stores and gas stations. Okay. They found 61% of operators of C stores and gas stations with these automated fuel dispensers. um, Expect to be MV compliant by next April. But in terms of locations, this is what got me only 10% will be. So, you know, what we're saying here is that you got, uh, you know, the big operators might have, you know, might be in compliance. Right. But the smaller operators make up more of the pumps. Wow. Really? That actually kind of surprises me. It surprised me too. I thought like, you know, with, and again, some, some of the big guys will have some of their stuff done but not all of their stock. Oh, I see. So basically see. the
0: big takeaway is, so. And the, and the deadline is April 1st, you said? April 1st, yeah. Okay. So you're saying that the big takeaway is April 1st, 2021, as it stands right now, roughly 10% of the pumps right. are going to be compliant with EMV
1: by the time we get the deadline. Right, right. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. And actually I was mistaken. Uh, I just looked at my notes here and it's the the chains with the fewer stores are more likely to be 100%.
0: Yeah, well, and, you know, the reason I, I, I do kind of wonder about that because, you know, I think the issue there is probably cost, you know what I mean? If you've right. got a thousand pumps out there. Right. The cost right now, and, and there are some different creative solutions that we've interviewed. Um, what was the name of the company we, did, we interviewed on that? Oh, it, you know, I had, a, I that. had that
1: in my notes. Um, It was... Eric Goldberg, Sound Payments was one Sound of the payments, people we had. Right. And we had somebody else too. I can't remember. Yep. There was another guy from the, down in Alabama, maybe. Yeah, Alabama. That's, uh, yeah. Right,
0: yeah, I forgot the name now of, of the company. But uh, yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, it's Gas pos, uh,
1: Gas so. yes, GasPoss, right. Yeah,
0: so I think it's interesting. I mean, there definitely are, um, you know, some good options out there. Um, But I think ultimately, you know, what a lot of these operators are looking at, and I think it is a big opportunity for our industry because a lot of these operators are looking at it as a $20,000 to $30,000 expense per side of their pump, Right. you know, Um, because that's what it would cost to replace and all that. Whereas mm-hmm. there's a lot of new retrofit options and things like we mentioned a couple that we've already interviewed sound right. payments being one that I know, you know, they partner with a lot of different companies and things. Right. Um, I actually just talked to Eric Goldberg not long ago because Eric's now over at um, NRS. It's another company that works with sound payments. Okay. Go after the fuel industry. And I was doing a training program on how to sell fuel stations uh, with them. So um, you know, it's definitely a big opportunity because, you know, again, I think they're looking at this big cost, whereas in reality, it can be done for like, you know, three thousand per side instead of twenty.
1: You know, what was interesting though is that you know among those that said uh, that they weren't doing it, the biggest you know two two thirds of the people who are not going to be fully compliant, yeah, said the risk of converting doesn't justify the expense. Yeah.
0: Well, well, and thought, again, and again, I think it's I think it's true. It doesn't justify the expense if the expense is twenty thousand a side. Exactly. I think it does justify maybe a two to three
1: thousand. A two to three thousand. And then, you know, some of the other reasons which I thought was interesting is, you know, lack of software certifications and 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 in some cases even the lack of hardware. But but here is another thing I wanted to bring up because this was a a second report that came across my desk from transaction network services. Okay. You know, there's a big communications from people. Mm -hmm. Um, and they found that a majority of consumers Prefer to pay for gas where they can pay at the pump, and the pump is EMV compliant. Yeah, and most of those people said it was because of COVID. Um, Really? Yeah. And I I have to admit, I I am that way myself. I I I, I'm really interested in doing, Doing if I can, touchless everything. Right. What's the What's the connection between that and the EMV? I think what it is is that
0: it's in their heads. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, which I guess maybe there's some validity to that. So I guess the 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 argument to be made is, if the pump is newer, it's right. probably EMV compliant. It's probably also got the touchless. Yes, right. The NFC and, or and, the tap right. pay or whatever.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. That's and interesting. I, and yeah, awesome. a lot of them have said they like using their phone if they can. So I think it's that whole touchless <clears> thing. <throat> and I know, like I said, with me, you know, I kind of prefer if I can use my touchless, I mean, I only, you know, I joke, I only have one card that has a, that's a tap and go card. And I use it for almost everything now because I don't like the idea of having to insert and do all that junk. And and when you're at the pump, you're already lifting that pump up with 50 other people have lifted before you. And sure. You know, so,
0: So so I guess maybe a takeaway there is that if you are looking to go after that, that market, that, that segment of the market, you know, going in and saying, yes, there's a, a benefit in terms of risk by upgrading to EMV. It's a requirement, but also by doing that, you're also going to be getting touchless. You're also going to be getting an FC, right. a Google Wallet, et cetera. And maybe right. that's an added benefit that kind of pushes it over the edge.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And and here's something else that I thought might push it over the edge. Um, you know, they asked the these consumers if the pandemic has made them more willing to buy additional items while they're gassing up you know like you, so you're at the pump you're gassing up and like i and i'm sure you and everybody else when you're at the gas station you know oh, well, I'm going to go in and get a coffee or a soda or right. that's how they right? make money right. that's how they make their money right yeah. well you know what what consumers seem to like is the idea of ordering it and then having it delivered to their cars um, oh, wow. I, yeah. I've
0: never been to a gas station that did that. I, ha-
1: I haven't I have either, but apparently it's starting to, it's, you know, starting to emerge. Huh? Um, I could see a couple of it. chains doing that. You know, you and I both yeah. live in the East coast where sheets is We're really world. big. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sheets could easily do this. Sheets yeah. could because they already have drive up now in a lot of their right. new right. places. Right? right. So here's just an interesting 55% of consumers, mm-hmm. not surprisingly already, Uh, Purchase items inside after they pump up right right and among those consumers 60% spend up to $20 Hmm. another third spend um, between 29 and 49 and about 10% spend $50 or more. Hmm. So I think that that's another selling point right because Yeah. yeah for sure. I know I'm not going into the store as much as I used to go into it.
0: Yeah, for you sure. Know, if
1: I'm really desperate for a soda, I'll do it. But, you know, otherwise it's like, nah, wait till I get home. Right. So, you um, know, I think there's definitely opportunity there. I love it. Wow, good stuff, Patty. I think this is definitely an
0: urgent one. It, there's only four months left. Um, of course, you know, last time they uh, <laughs> they moved
1: the uh, goalposts. But, They've moved uh, the goalpost so many times. I just don't, I, I'm not I sure. That the industry's not taking yet. it
0: seriously, I think, at this point.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: But I don't know. We'll be interested. I'll, I'll be very interested to see how it goes. I think they might actually enforce it this time. I think um, so. And, you know, and, and see how it goes. So, yeah, good information, Patty. Thanks. Sure. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech. The technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing all with cash discounting in mind. Valor PayTech. Bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution.
2: Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space,